Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast, our first show of 2023. The date is January 3rd, which reminds me, that date's significant. I got to make sure to hit uh, send, make all those final decisions on the Eclipse ballot, which is due today. We'll have more information on that uh, coming up in the next uh, few days and weeks as people start posting their ballots. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital coming with you from the Brooklyn Bunker once again, experimenting with a little bit of a new format for the early week show. You're going to be seeing a lot of uh, this next guest. He was here with me for the Eclipse show last week, and he's here today to take this very early look at some of the Derby contenders and recap racing from last weekend as well. Talk about some exciting stuff going on out at Santa Anita. That's basically the agenda for this show. He is from InTheMoneyPodcast.com, Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? morning, Pete. Happy New Year. Ready to to get it started. And I'll admit that last year when you had me start doing some derby derby contender shows, I uh, really wasn't following the trail all that closely by February. So this will help quite a bit. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, I do think it's important. This is a bit of an about face. Long time, long time listeners will say, wait a second, aren't isn't this the guy who says he doesn't want to make a derby list and JK doesn't want to look at the, the derby until we have mile and an eighth form in the book in such and such and so and so. Here's the thing. I think it's still important not to get too wedded to any conclusions early on, but I think it's interesting conversations, particularly this year. And I think that it's something, it's a case of giving the people what they want. I mean, we know from our traffic, we know from the way people find us that the vast majority of the audience is very, very interested in this stuff. So we're going to try to have our cake and eat it too and be able to talk about these things without falling into those traps of getting in love with a horse too early before we have all the information before the first Saturday in May. I mean, the Derby, let me ask you, Nick, I mean, as a horse player, is the Derby still just a race to you or does it take on uh, does it does it take it on more significance as a horse player as time gone on well i mean last year notwithstanding yeah. um i did kind of i did curse afterwards and i swore <laughs> off taking the derby so seriously from a betting standpoint um you know it, it's it's a uh, i think the challenge will always be too significant to overlook um but the because of the reward right i mean the the benefit there if you're right and there's so many different ways you can be right. But I think the the be all end all nature of, of the approach of some people that, you know, if you you have to hit the derby or you have to be right about the derby or anything like that. I've been wrong about the derby the majority of my life. So and I'm not listening really to anybody who tells me that they were right last year. So <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't see how it happened. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the good thing about this year's Derby, just from a horse player standpoint, is that I think we're going to have a tremendous amount of value baked into this year's Derby simply because everybody is going to have a, a huge reaction to 2022. And there's going to be way more spreading. There's going to be way more alls. There's probably going to be like two or three horses over 40 to one. So it's a Derby worth getting excited about at this point. And look, I mean, realistically, at this point, I think the, the crop is headed by a horse that um, I have questions about how far he wants to go. We'll see how he does as the spring wears on. We've seen some decent performances so far, and we're going to talk about a couple of them. I think that's a great point. You know, the mind that bird effect has already been out there for years, and it's the idea. And Maury Wolf mentioned this to me in an interview we did for another platform that the one of the last advantages is ironic that he we were talking about this ahead of last year's derby but one of the advantages that's left is that the long shots essentially are too short and you can actually find value 
at not necessarily the tippity top of the market, because you'll still see years where maybe a favorite gets uh, dialed into a bit too much, but in those proper contenders at mid-range odds. And you got to figure last year, I wonder if we'll even see 40 to one it, with, with all the people wanting to reach for, for long shots. I mean, you got to figure there'll be one or two in that range, but those are horses that probably should be a hundred to one in other words. And, and because so many people are going to be focused on who the next, you know, rich strike is they, you might get 45 to one on 150 to one shot kind of thing. And that's creates value elsewhere. That's the phenomenon you're talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, and, and I don't, I, I want to make a fair comparison, but if you look at the 2010 Derby, which of course was the first one run after mine, that bird, you had a six to one favorite. Um, but, you know, three weeks before the race, the favorite looked like he could be two to one in Escondrea. So it also had to do with the crop being pretty even. Um, but but again, I mean, you had a situation where the public was just trying to back everybody and, yeah. and it created some of the best payoffs we've had in years for uh, for those you know horses with those odds. So I, I think we're 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 looking at the same kind of situation this year. And, you know, that makes any betting race more fun when the public just can't find a favorite and wants to to punt as much as possible uh, while they're punting. That's right. There, there's a great, I love the way the English look at the markets like that. We don't really talk about it in terms of paramutual, but they'd say, and I'm not exactly sure how the parlance stacks up, but it would be like in that Derby, for example, six to one, the field. In other words, nobody is less than six to one. How right. rare is that here? We could see it this year. We'll see. There, obviously, there's some horses that could, uh, could, if they continue on their current trajectory, could be heavy favorites. But I do think that phenomenon will be in effect, and it's something we'll pay attention to. That's the wrong screen. I was going to show. Uh, I was going to show a different screen. Let me let me see if I can figure this out here. This is the problem with attempting to to produce my uh, to produce myself here on an early morning. But I do want to show the. Uh, I want to show these updated road to the Kentucky Derby standings and just get some thoughts from Nick on these as we go along. And there's the correct screen. And you already alluded to the horse who currently sits on top. That's Forte. He's looked really, really good so far, but it sounds like your, uh, your, your main hesitation is how far does he, does he really want to go? I think that we often see horses get good early and they're just ahead of the curve. You know, they're the, the proverbial 16-year-old, 17-year-old playing on JV, and and they get, you know, when by the time they all get to varsity, some of the some of their peers have caught up. So I think that's the, you know, that's the concern. And it's very, very hard to be a top flight two-year-old and then to stay on as a top flight three-year-old. So we'll see how how good Forte is. I would imagine he's going to take the primarily Florida route to the to the Kentucky Derby. I've not seen any plan laid out, but you know I would imagine you'll see him potentially in a race like the Fountain of Youth, um, maybe in advance of the Bluegrass, given his his uh, affinity for Keeneland. So yeah, I think there's a lot still to be figured out. I will admit I've underrated Forte to a great extent. He is a very very nice horse. So. I need to be uh, to be cognizant of that as well. But, you know, to me, it looks at this point like there's it's all out there for everybody. Have we heard an update on logins? Because I think that's part of the reason why maybe the likes of you and me have underrated Forte a little bit was just how much we liked logins when they ran against each other. Obviously, he had a setback and uh, didn't go on and compete in the Breeders' Cup, I'd still be super-duper interested in him going forward. But I, I feel like those horses' form is just inextricably interwoven in my brain. 
Yeah, I've not heard anything specific on Loggins, but at this point he has not worked. So I'm thinking it's uh, – I, th- I thought I saw somewhere 60 days off roughly 40 days ago or so. Okay. Um, I think it's looking like given, – given Brad Cox's past, it's looking like he is a long shot to make the, the triple crown. He might be more of, yeah, he might be more of a summer horse. Um, but yeah, again, I mean, that's, that's – he is basically – he's what we're using as the standard to apply to Forte. And, um, you know, and then, of course, I mean, we're looking at this list and and you have to consider and discuss a horse like Cave Rock, who, you know, was an overwhelming favorite in the in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and ended up running, a, I would say, a good second. Um, no, no shame in losing. The problem is that nowadays when you're expected to win, you're just really, uh, really disappoint everybody when you don't. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see where he surfaces. Of course, he's got some stable mates that have looked very, very good so far. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot still out there. There's a lot that, that we'll see a uh, shape up. I thought the Remsen was a, was a very good running. I'll be interested to see where WHNL shows up. I thought I saw somewhere that he was a withers possibility trying to keep him at a mile and an eighth, uh, the whole way home. And, um, and he's a horse that, that will obviously have to prove himself on a dry surface. So there, there are a lot of horses I think that have shown that they've, they've got some ability, instant coffee being one of them winning that Kentucky jockey club in very impressive fashion. Blazing sevens, of course, followed up his uh, champagne win with a, a decent effort in the breeders cup. So it, it's, it's a good bunch right now that looks like it's kind of coming together uh, at a nice little pace. I want to go back to cave rock for a second, because he, I do think is, is a little bit interesting. He's just this horse that I'm of a couple of different minds about. I went into breeders cup week and, you know, this is always a tricky game, but just reading between the line of earlier trainer quotes on Cave Rock, Baffert did not talk about him the same way he's talked about some of his other monsters. There, there was always a just a little bit of a question in his mind, you know, even after running such big figures, saying things like, well, he's going to have to improve again and this and that. And so I actually went there with half a mind to, to look for a reason to bet against him. And then I saw him in the flesh, and he looked so good that he, I threw that plan out the window and ended up uh, going down with the ship in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile in terms, of, uh, in terms of my betting on the race. And probably some of that also had to do with the underrating Forte for the same reasons that you said. Now coming out of it, I don't know, the way he finished up in there, it, it leaves me, it does leave me with some questions about him in terms of the distance. I think there's absolutely no reason for them not to forge on the trail and, and see what happens. But if I held your feet to the fire on cave rock, I mean, do you think this is a horse? Do you think he's another example of the, of the one who just matured faster and, or might, you know, Jackie's warrior style have been able to go a little bit farther, but really wants to go shorter or where, where do you, where do you, if I've made you make a call on him right now, what would you say? I would still lean towards him being a horse capable of going a classic distance um, I, I'd at least give him one more shot. You know, I think we all, and we were all in a similar boat with regards to Jackie's warrior a couple of years ago, um, given how well he ran in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. I, I would I would almost argue that I think Jackie's warrior may have run better in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile than Cave Rock did. That was a suicide pace that he stayed right. on. And of course, I mean, in retrospect, looking at who finished ahead of him, being that it was essential quality and Hot Rod Charlie, it kind of bolsters your, uh, your opinion of, and keep me in mind, ran third, I think ran third. Um, so, you know, it kind of bolsters your opinion of how well Jackie's warrior ran. We'll see how good Forte is. You know, the odd thing about cave rock is that he is not bred to be precocious, at least on the top side, being an arrogate Georgie's angel, his dam was a very good two-year-old. So you could see maybe him getting a little bit from it there. The big worry is that he didn't settle. 
you know, and he looked very uncomfortable early. And it's just, it's very hard to get horses like that to figure out how to go 10 furlongs. Right. And, and, you know, um, especially given that, I mean, brass tax, this is a horse who's probably going to have to change hands at some point before May. And, um, and, and we know that that didn't work out all that great this year. So, uh, I think there's, it's, it's, I guess I'm, I'm going, I'm giving you two different answers. I would say at this point, I'd still be willing to give him another shot, but we're going to have to see something pretty substantial in his first start back. And, and, it, uh, worth noting, he has also not worked since the Breeders' Cup. So, you know, don't know if there was anything setback wise that might be getting in his way. I do know that Bob Baffert has an arsenal of horses that, uh, that includes Arabian Knight, who, you know, might have been the most impressive maiden winner after cave rock that we saw and uh, and he's going to run i would assume he's running soon i think they've been working him pretty significantly so i guess he could be in the sham and and we'll see what he has to offer because his race has come back pretty competitive so far and um and he's one of a number of horses that uh, look very promising that have just a maiden win so far that is something to note about this road to the kentucky derby leaderboard if you're in baffert's care you cannot earn points to put you on this list they will be as the pattern was established last year transferred to another barn before the final prep and they'll get in or not that way so we're not going to see them the name that's just so dominant at this list looking down at the top uh, 15 or so is that's funny texts appear on the screen here while i'm well i'm screen sharing that's very funny we'll work out all the kinks here eventually um but the name that's so dominant is brad cox uh, of the various cox runners you know logins aside we have those, those questions about is there is there one that stands above the rest that you're particularly interested in and we can if if the answer is genuine we can loop this into talking about uh, the smarty jones as well yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, well, of course, your recency bias would tell you victory formation. But um, I think being that he won at Churchill and looks like a horse who's really going to relish additional ground, it's tough not to not to like instant coffee, in my opinion. Um, he also won. He won a Kentucky Jockey Club that at least as far as the setup goes, he really wasn't supposed to get there. And he at least uh, showed something that he didn't in the uh, breeders futurity. And, and I think he took a step forward there. And, and so he's the one who would stick out the most to me. Jace's road was very solid winning the gun runner. And I believe is pointing to the Southwest in late January. Now at, at, uh, at Oaklawn um, looks a little bit more like a speedball freewheeling type that, you know, they'll have to figure out how well they can get him to relax. Same can be said for victory formation who, you know, just continues to impress with each passing start. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, we had all that conversation last week about the the Eclipse Awards and, and you know, one name that didn't come up in discussion about uh, the, the leading trainer was Brad Cox. And you thought, oh, gosh, I mean, you know, what's happened to his barn? And, and here we are at a point where <laughs> he's got, what, six horses in the top 15 points wise. So I, I think he's going to be uh, he's going to be well represented by the first Saturday in May. No doubt about it. Uh, let's talk. Let's pause for a minute more on the on the Smarty Jones and just like what what you thought of uh, what you thought of that as a, as a race and and how key a piece of form it might be going forward. I mean, you know, I thought it was it went you know basically as expected given how strong a favorite victory formation was. You knew that uh, that Flavian Pratt wasn't coming to Hot Springs for Delucas or anything like that. I mean, he was definitely he was I definitely would there. not recommend it though. I mean, it's pretty good pizza. Oh, absolutely, yeah, no, and and I mean, I would travel for pizza um, and other <laughs> and other edible items, but um, yeah, so you knew you know they this, this horse was pretty well well meant and. 
Um, I, I guess figuring that Saez is going to have a lot of options, you know, they, they were willing to go ahead and concede this one to Flavian and he did the right thing. I mean, he took no prisoners, went straight to the front and he made a field that was largely made up of horses that looked inferior to him on paper, look inferior on the racetrack. Right. And there's something to be said for doing that. So I thought his allowance win on stars of tomorrow was really impressive. He, he looked beaten. He had gotten involved in a really hot pace in there as well. And he fought back and, and, and did so in really game fashion. So I'm a victory formation fan. Um, we'll see how, how much he takes a step forward next time out. Obviously the water will get a little deeper. The concern that you have with a horse like him is that it does seem at this point, like he's really going to be at his best on the lead. And, you know, these horses have a tendency of getting a little bit, uh, a little bit ground up after time goes by because they're just going to, they're inevitably they're going to get into a super fast paced race. Yeah. When you see three to five alone on the lead the whole time and the figure comes back 91, my inclination is to say this horse is going to have to get faster, but you know, as a, as a newly turned three-year-old, that's also certainly possible for this, uh, for this son of, of Taprit. We're going to talk about some racing that took place at uh Gulfstream over the weekend. Cause there were some, Breeders' Cup-ish speed figures that were laid down there. But we'll pause for a moment before we get to that, because I do want to talk about Santa Anita and Cal Cup and some exciting stuff that's coming up out there this weekend. And we'll start with something that we're going to be covering extensively here on the network. We're going to be doing shows every Saturday and Sunday covering this new cross-country wager. I think of it as sort of the new and improved Stronic 5, where we're going to be dealing with those same very favorable economic terms, the dollar minimum, the 15% takeout, and taking the best races. And we'll see exactly how they end up doing it in terms of a window. Um, it, it, they may, with as much good racing as been carted early at Santa Anita, I wonder if the idea isn't going to be to try to have, you know, the last two or three at Gulfstream, the first two or three at Santa Anita to make it up. That remains to be seen. But in any case, I think this is going to be good because we, you know, big fans of the Stronic Five around here in terms of the economic terms. And this is a way to do that on a Saturday and Sunday when so many people are playing anyway with some of the best races. I, I'm excited about uh, covering it and uh, we'll plan on uh, betting it regularly. What are your thoughts on this new bet, Nick? Oh, yeah. I mean, any any new wagers with uh, low takeout and and combining some some good racing are always welcome. We've obviously been without the cross country pick five and the Stronic five for a while. So great to have it back. And I think with the uh, with the low takeout, it really offers a lot of appeal to everybody. The the high minimum uh, led to some really, really nice payoffs as time went by in the Stronic five. And, you know, the general complaint from the public was the inclusion of some Laurel and Golden Gate races with all due respect to both places, but they're just not quite as popular with the general public. So I think, uh, you know, being that these races will focus, this wager will focus on really the most popular races going on in the country. It's pretty tough to argue with that. Yeah. And I think to be fair to those other tracks too, they're, they're racing on a Friday, especially you're going to be dealing, you're going to necessarily have to be dealing with some lower level stuff by shifting to the weekend, by focusing on, on these tracks. I, I think it's necessarily going to be better. That's not the only thing going on this weekend. There's going to be a mandatory payout on Saturday, January 7th. No plans have been finalized, but personally I wouldn't mind maybe rekindling what we did for Santa Anita opening day, where we did the crossover show with the Santa Anita preview uh, weekend preview uh, we had duke matisse and uh, and chappy on giving out every winner i mean it was like they had the next day's uh, paper type good 
stuff. Maybe we can do that again for this uh, for this pick six jackpot mandatory payout. Just you know, if you subscribe to In the Money Media, you get all the shows wherever you get your podcasts in the feed. We recommend you do that. You can also check back on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Speaking of which, I meant to highlight the work when we were talking about Triple Crown stuff. We're expanding the written coverage as well. And both Eric Solomon and Eric DeCoster, the Eric's as we affectionately call them, have been doing great work on that. We'll have them on some of these early week shows as well as time goes on as we're, we're following the stuff. But I highly recommend you go over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com and check that out. Other stuff from, uh, from Santa Anita. We are once again going to be involved sponsoring the Santa Anita Pick'em Contest. The, that's an online contest that mixes horse picking and sports picking. You can check that out on their website you know, prizes every weekend. And also the show Viver, the free online game, santanita.com slash contest, the place to go to look at that and also to look at their upcoming live bankroll schedule. Shall we look back to uh, Gulfstream, Nick? Where should we begin? Sure, yeah. I mean, you had a lot of lot of good racing over the weekend. It was unofficial Pegasus preview day on a Saturday afternoon. That sounds that sounds right. That sounds right. And in terms of like figure performances and things that make you think, hmm, what's going to happen next with this horse? My eyes go to Skippy Longstocking, a horse who ran this big figure two back in the West Virginia Derby, I think it was. And my inclination there was to say, hmm, you know, that's such a unique configuration. Is this real? This horse really good enough to be a serious player in this division going forward? Well, you see the 106 earned in the Harlan's holiday. And I, and I think the answer might be yes to that question. This is a horse I've, you know, I've, I've always sort of respected, but never really been uh, wild about or thought was capable of running those kind of, I wasn't sure he was capable of running those grade one speed figures, but at this point, just looking at his paper, feels safe to say that, that, that he is. How good is this horse? Yeah, good question. I mean, not even the most fancied runner from his, from his trainer's barn in this race with O'Connor going off a pretty solid favorite. You know, you always uh, want to keep taking into consideration that this horse is based in South Florida. Safi Joseph Jr. is based in South Florida. So his horses are generally going to run a little bit better down there. Um, it was very surprising to me to see it come back so fast. I saw that the final time looked very, very good, but you kind of saw how Pioneer of Medina battled all the way, and you thought that really doesn't look like a you know 103 or 104 type performance for a horse that really throughout his career had been pretty slow, all things considered. So it was a it was a surprisingly good effort. And I mean, as far as next steps go, you'd have to think they're looking at the Pegasus. I know White Barrio is pointed there um, for Safi as well. So you don't want to pass any dances like that, I think, at this point. So, you know, this is a horse that's been in and out of form a couple of times and and has failed in some of his biggest objectives. And that may happen again in four weeks that it proves that that he's just not capable of competing at a grade one level. But it was a performance that it's, it's pretty tough to argue with, uh, with it being good enough to at least give him a try against some of the heavy heads. Yeah, you got to figure it's it's uh, th- there's absolutely no reason not to not to take a shot in the in that deep end of the pool. And then even regardless of what happens there, there is that there is that question that we've often talked about on the show back since it debuted in the you know winter of uh, of 2014, early 2015. Sometimes what happens at Gulfstream stays at Gulfstream, and we'll have to see if. if but, that, but you know, maybe that's unfair with with Skippy in particular, at least having taken the show on the road to West Virginia. Though those are both two tracks where the form doesn't necessarily travel. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Well, right, and in fairness, I mean, this horse did not run that badly in the Belmont. So I mean, he's not. He's gone on the road and been competitive. 
Um, has he been better? You know, was, was he better on Saturday? No question about it. I mean, he was, but he's also about to be four. Right. And so there's reason to believe that he could just be getting better. And um, I didn't see where it looked like he was, was training any better than a stable mate or, you know, or training particularly well, but, you know, he did perform well enough a few times during the year to be given some consideration in some nice races. I mean, he was 11 to one in the Belmont. He was 10 to one in the Pennsylvania Derby. And that was the best race of the second half of the year. I think one of the things that definitely helped him was that um, they didn't exactly burn on the front end and he was able to stay relatively close. He got a very alert ride by Irad, which, uh, which I think helped quite a bit too. So, you know, at this point, based on what we've seen, as far as the horses pointing to a race like the Pegasus world cup, he looks like a single digit price. Let's move on to the Fort Lauderdale for a minute. The, the prep race in, in theory for the Pegasus world cup turf. And I think you'll agree that the story of this one was more about who didn't show up than who did. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, this was Colonel Liam is a horse that, that basically runs by appointment only now in his career. And, um, and he's obviously had some things go wrong and, you kind of wondered if, if Todd was going to be able to catch lightning in a bottle twice. Todd's phenomenal. He's, he's probably going to end up winning the Eclipse Award for 2022. He's obviously won a hat full of them already. And, um, and his barn is kind of enjoying a bit of a resurgence in the last couple of years with some of the new clients or some of the expanded business from his existing clients. What he did last year with Colonel Williams really, really hard. You know, bringing a horse back off a 180 plus day layoff to win a grade one race, even if it's watered down and not particularly good, that's a hard thing to do, especially for a horse that's obviously been quite ouchy. And um, and so it, it proved to be a little too much. Um, he had no discernible excuse. So he got himself into a good position despite the outside post. And I read asked him to go around the turn and his tank emptied out pretty quickly. So. He, Todd did say afterwards, we'll see, we'll go to the Pegasus unless he tells us that he can't. And, um, and so we'll see if any of that happens over the next couple of weeks, but no doubt about it. I mean, you're talking about a horse that, that went off even money and finished sixth, um, hat tip to the venerable, uh, city man, New York bred, who got his second graded stake win of the year. It seems to fire just about every time he got a great ride and trip from, uh, Great ride from Joel Rosario, enjoyed the perfect trip up the rail and got the job done. I'd imagine he'll go to the Pegasus World Cup turf. No reason not to think he can go the, uh, I believe it's mile, mile and three sixteenths of that race. So if, if he does, then, uh, you know, he'll certainly have a, a oh, no, it's mile and an eighth. So he'll have a major say in the outcome there. Yeah, maybe I'll be accused of a host fail for not saying the story of the race was the Christophe Clement training job, doing his best Chad Brown impression and running one, two here with City Man and Decorated Invader. Decorated Invader, a horse who's been uh, up and down as well, who ends up running second at a very big price here. Maybe he's a horse that's uh, going to be back on the on the improve, though. You know, it was a little bit of a a little bit of a merry-go-round. Is it fair to say? I I, I can't decide how much credit to give uh, the horses that, that that ran in behind. It was a little bit of a merry-go-round. Yeah, I was going to say it in in, uh, in with all due respect to Christoph, I think getting Decorated Invader to run second is a more impressive training job than getting City Man to win. But um, Decorated Invader ran great, and and yeah, this is a horse who had a cup of coffee as a you know the top three year old in in the crop and in 2020. And that was of course a crop that included domestic spending and a number of, and Gufo. So uh, it was actually a very nice group of, of, of horses uh, that particular year and his form had tailed off a little bit, but yeah, he ran very. Oh, 
we've lost Nick. I don't know what happened to him. He popped out of he popped out of the screen. Let's see if he can wend his way back in. I can probably take it home from here, though. The other race I definitely want to talk about. No, Nick is back. Let's see if we can we'll pop him back in. Fail. Yeah, that was, a fail. Fail. that was a guest fail. Yeah, it was a guest fail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we so don't I, have uh, we don't many, have many of those. People out there will probably relate to me, but I don't know whether it's I don't know exactly what it is, but when I swipe along my trackpad on my MacBook, I frequently inadvertently hit the back button on my browser. Gotcha. So I guess it's because I don't swipe hard enough or who the hell knows what. But <laughs> that was exactly what happened. I will admit I was trying to switch screens to see something about Decorated Invaders form. I'm going to go ahead and stop there and stop talking about him, too. He's probably his this is his little revenge. <laughs> We'll see what happens in the Pegasus World Cup turf. We'll see who ends up coming to the party. I wonder if there's a chance there might be international participation again in that race. I mean, uh, it, it wouldn't shock me. Aiden O'Brien such a supporter of, of USA Racing. I haven't seen probables or anything like that. We've got a little bit of time to, to figure out what's going on in that race. I need to book my trip down to the Pegasus, come to think well, of it. I wonder if Appleby has to have somebody, right? He wins every turf race in America. I guess yeah, I mean, he's yeah. a time of year. Yeah, we've seen Aiden ship it this time of year. Aiden we haven't seen that from Appleby, but nothing no. would surprise me. I mean, he'll have horses going. You know, he'll have horses go, going in 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 the Middle East, presumably. Well, so I, I would think so. In a million dollar turf race with almost a guarantee of fast ground, that's kind of what he's eaten up the last few years. Exactly. So we'll. we'll I haven't heard a thing about it. We'll do a little bit of. We'll do a little bit of research yeah. on that. I have a feeling our correspondent uh, Michael Adolfson might be tracking he might be clocking that and have some ideas for us we're just about out of time we're going to do this abbreviated show because we're going to be back later in the week with so much stuff uh, I feel like the, the the viewers and listeners are not getting cheated for material we'll be back with a show for this aqueduct pick five we're going to have two cross-country shows and probably a separate show about that Cal Cup mandatory pick six as well but I do want to at least talk about the sugar swirl a race that I wouldn't have necessarily said we were going to be talking about a five horse race dominated by an odds on favorite, but this is another one where the number came back and, and was just so impressive that it at least deserves a call a one Oh five for Frank's Rockette in this spot. Uh, how impressed were you by this? And what, do you, what would you be your best guess about what we're going to see from her this year? Yeah. Real take no prisoners. Just let's go to the front and, and dish it out to everybody else, which it didn't look like she'd do that on paper, but uh, Luis Sai is being, you know, a, a very front run, front end oriented rider. I think it really helped. I don't know. I actually, Pete, I was surprised to see her in the entries. I just assumed she was retired, so I didn't know if uh, if this is maybe a, a final opportunity or if she's going to be in training throughout the year. The this division gets a little a little thin as the uh, race wise as you get towards the spring, and then of course you have the the Madison and and the uh, Derby City Distaff. So. I would assume if she stays in training, she goes to a race like the Inside Information. Um, I don't know if there's any more ambitious goal out there. They seem to have had this thought in the past that she's significantly better at uh, six furlongs than seven. So, you know, glad to have her back. Frank Fletcher, she's a homebred. So, I mean, maybe he's just figuring he'll play out the string with her as long as she's willing to run. But you do make a good point that this could be swan song and you could still breed this year. So we'll have to pay attention to that. It I kind of felt like that. it felt like that to me. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I guess he figured put a little more graded black type on her in the event he he wants to sell some of the foals or or even sell her. I mean, given that he bred her, I doubt he will. Um, but there's something rocket out there that he'll probably find a way to name one of the foals. 
<laughs> Houston Rocket is the one I've been trying to to put <laughs> to no avail. <laughs> oh, and and then the chances Houston Rocket you could have you could have some progeny if that one could make it to the to the breeding shed. There's I'm been an Elajuan, hasn't there? Wasn't there? there an I think there has been an Elajuan, yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, and there's been a Dream Shake not that oh, long ago. So that's right. That was a, that was a, a a very very promising, uh, very very promising horse. Exactly. All right. Great stuff, Nick. Appreciate your thoughts on all this. We're going to leave it here. We'll be back later in the week with several shows. Peter Thomas Fornital for Nick Tamaro and our In the Money Media friends, including 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, our founding partners. Got to give them a thank you before we get out of here, as well as thanking all of you, the viewers and listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. If you're watching on YouTube, Please subscribe. Drop us a comment. Let us know who your derby pick is, or who. Or I won't. I won't make you do something we didn't do. You don't have to give us your derby pick. Tell us a horse, a three-year-old you're really excited to see run in his next start. How about we'll do it like that? I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>